Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Ooh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do is answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. We bond no. over our shared love of uh, Beverly Hills, 90210, and the Holocaust, <laughs> which are our <laughs> favorite topics. Our two main passions. <laughs> yeah. Very passionate. And anti-Semitism. And we like to critique ta- anti-Semitism. Yeah. I could talk about Auschwitz and Jason Priestley ad nauseum. So. <laughs> well, we should, we should write like a fan fiction of Beverly Hills, 90210, and Auschwitz. Oh, God. That would be good. Oh, God. They would not have been able to survive. No. Donna, well, three days. I, I don't know. I no. feel like I feel like Brenda would be able to survive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Kelly, yeah, forget she could Donna, forget Kelly, it. no way. No. Steve Donna, would go, three Steve days. would go be like a camp guard, like a, what, a Jewish Steve doctor. would, like, turn on everyone, yeah. Oh, what about it, Andrea? We forgot about Andrea. She'll be, like, the, the spiritual uh, leader. This is Walk-In's Welcome with Bridget Fettesy. I'm Bridget Fettesy. And you are welcome. (laughs) You know the drill. Please subscribe, rate, comment, share, reach out, tell your friends, send smoke signals, whatever. We love your feedback and we want to hear from you. If you like our work and want to support us, the best way to do that is join Phetasy.com. You'll get access to behind-the-scenes content, outtakes, discounts on merch, and the ability to submit questions for some of our upcoming guests. Support your favorite scrappy little internet heroes at Phetasy.com. Shall I take your order, or do you need a minute? Yes, I'll be ready. Just buying a car on Carvana. What? It's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. What? That's handy. Yeah. Now I'm customizing my down and monthly payments. What? That's an exquisite deal. And just like that, Carvana's delivering my car in a couple days. What? Oh, yeah. Uh, Sorry, I'll have the burrito. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Delivery fees may apply. All right, everybody. I'm with Yael Bartur and Hialeah Suffren from the podcast Ask a Jew. Welcome to Walk-In's Welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us. us. Yeah, we're I'm excited. Fans. I'm excited to talk to you too about all the things. And I probably will be asking a lot of questions since now I have you on here. My first question is... Sometimes I get tripped up over when I can say Jew. Like sometimes I'll be like, (laughs) (laughs) because I feel like anytime I say it, it's a slur, even though I know that's not the case. I know that might seem funny to you, but it is like sometimes I'll be like, oh, he's uh, it's like I never know. Even saying your podcast name, (laughs) I'm like, am I going to get canceled for saying that? Yeah, Yeah, we're going to send the ADL to you. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is a weird word because some, I mean, it's basically how you pronounce it. Are you like, oh, she's a Jew? Or it's like, oh, she's a Jew. Right. Yeah. It's like, where is the emphasis on the. Wouldn't uh, they call word? it like the euphemism treadmill or something or the slur yeah. treadmill? Like, when I, you know, when I was growing up, it wasn't a slur, but now I, I can't even keep track anymore. So. 
I know. So you actually don't really have an answer to my first question. No, <laughs> no it's really just how you say. Can, <laughs> you like absolutely to, yeah. can say Jew. I'm a very, very proud Jew, and I am happy to use that word. And I don't even understand for a second why anyone has a problem with it. We're Jewish. I'm a Jew. I practice Judaism. I mean, all of the. I'll take all of the names, all of the labels. Yeah. So and you if somebody just... comes after you, we'll we'll do like a Twitter thread or something. <laughs> exactly. You two started your podcast when? Oh boy, it uh, feels like a thousand years ago. Yeah. Um, no, it was like temple. in twenty. It was like two years ago, basically. COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. During COVID. Yeah. yeah. And what inspired you to start it? So I, we met through a podcast. This is so, I'm so embarrassed to tell this story, but whatever. <laughs> we met we on met, Twitter. We, <laughs> um, we met through another podcast and during COVID, you know, when everyone was bored at home, we were like doing the Zoom things and whatever. And one day Elle saw me on a Zoom call and she's like, why is there someone named Chaylea on this Zoom call? It doesn't make sense. And so we started chatting and we were having these really good conversations and people kept saying, oh, you guys should start a podcast. And we were like, oh, okay, we'll be, you know, yeah, let's do it. And literally that's what happened. And uh, we come from very different backgrounds. So our conversations were rich and interesting and people were like, seemed to care about what we were saying. And so we went for it. We're like so the same age, but very, very different like lifestyles. Yeah, yeah. Explain to me a little bit about each one of your different backgrounds. So I grew up in Israel, uh, which means if, if you're a secular Jew in Israel, you're very secular. So there's something about just growing up there that you're like, I live, you know, I live there already. Like I speak the language already. I don't really need to do anything else. Um, so I didn't really know any religious traditions and customs, and um, I don't really know any now. Uh, and I never really had any Orthodox friends. I had one in grad school. Are there a lot of secular Jews in Israel? Yeah, it, like yeah. what's the ratio? Um, I don't know what the ratio is, but I would say the ma the majority, majority of Jews aren't Orthodox. It is interesting. And okay, the secular part is very secular. So if you go to Tel Aviv, it's like super, super gay. Very like a lot of people compare it to Berlin. Like very like coffee yeah. shops and bars and everything's open on Shabbat and you know, uh, very very modern. Um, Jerusalem more like you would think like traditional Jewish. I heard this recently too, like in Tel Aviv, the gender stuff is kind of all the like gender stuff is happening even <laughs> over there, which was shocking to me. But well, I, it's... Yeah. I always say we're 10 years behind on all the trends. So I yeah. think woke wokeness has just arrived to Israel. Oh, Not interesting. Just, but they've started doing things with like gender because the language is gendered in Israel in Hebrew. Um, but now they're starting to be offended by things that are were, we were offended by here in 2020. And we're, I feel like we're just kind of getting over it now. Right. But yeah. They're discovering it in Israel. Is there the kind of like anti-Palestine feeling as well in the in the wokeness or not anti? I mean, like pro the anti-Israel sentiment, I guess, that it seems to exist in the left wing woke yeah, I think the biggest problem in Israel right now is actually between secular Jews and religious Jews and between right wing and left wing, um, which Haile and I hope to take advantage of to grow our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, there are a lot of, uh, I don't know if you heard, but over the last year, there have been uh, huge protests in Israel. I have heard. Judicial uh, overhaul or reform or whatever you want to call it. 
um, and a very right-wing government. And it's really been uh, brought these tensions to a boil that are more between the secular, more left-leaning, uh, you know, more li liberal, but like not, not liberal as you would think in America uh, necessarily. Like, like in Israel, the IDF, the army is considered liberal. Okay. Um, yeah. Between them and the more kind of uh, religious right-wing, uh, extreme, more extreme parts of the right. Okay. Interesting. We're too busy hating each other right now to, to focus on hating Palestinians. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> That's true. Um, and Hialeah, what about you? Where? What's your backstory? So I was born and raised in a very Hasidic, religious, Orthodox family. Some people would call it ultra Orthodox. Some people hate that for you know name, whatever. I don't really care. Um, and so I grew up, you know, going to only Jewish school in america was, or yeah i grew okay. up in southern california yeah okay. in long beach my father's a rabbi okay in a community here in long beach and um but you know i have very strong ties to the east coast i spent all my summers lots of holidays all my family i have a huge family everybody lives in brooklyn and montreal and so really grew up it within the orthodox world um but also live like in california so i was exposed to like the real world and the regular you know culture but kind of in a very limited way um but i was always very fascinated by pop culture and kind of you know dip my toes in on my own as a teenager started listening to music started listening because we didn't have any of that in the home i grew up in we only listened to like hasidic music and watched jewish movies and you know we were not like we didn't have the hollywood exposure at all and i kind of snuck around watching 90210 and you know <laughs> oh, wow. we bonded over, over, over yeah. 90210 tell her about oh, yeah. your how you watch 90210 because it's my favorite story yeah <laughs> well my friends would like tape it on <laughs> you know, VHSs uh -huh. and I would like go over to their houses for sleepovers and watch it. But then my parents would go out once a week on like a date night. I was the oldest of six kids and we had a monitor, which was like a video machine. I don't know if you remember that, but if you stuck a pin in the back of the monitor, you could get, you know, some channels. Yeah. And so I would pay my brother, Maishi, to hold a hanger or a pin inside the back so that I could watch TV when my parents went out. It was, like a whole, it was, just, it was a scheme, but whatever. Um, yeah. So I grew up that way and then I got married, you know, super, we get married really young. I had four kids in my twenties, um, work in the Jewish community. I'm a Jewish community professional. And so Yael and I just come from very different parts of the Jewish community. I'm definitely from the more ultra Orthodox, right-leaning, you know, uh, part of the Jewish world. But I kind of, my friends and my professional life are in the left-leaning, more secular part of the Jewish community. So it was just fun meeting and becoming really, really good friends. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting, like in your conversations, coming from that very different background, yet still bonded by Judaism. And it's, it is like a crazy spectrum on the, I mean, like any religion, I think people have this idea that you have to, you know, like most Christians, I think they've done studies, like go to, they're basically like holiday churchgoers. They're not going every week and they're, it's just like a massive spectrum, but it does seem like more people just assume it's all like the same, you know, yeah. like, like I mean, everyone yeah. practicing Judaism or everybody who's Jewish is like, all, they're all Orthodox. 
Yeah. Yell and I could not, Yell and I could not be more different in the way that we think about our Judaism. I mean, and it's funny because both of us, I think our Jewish identity is so central to who we are and it's such a core part of who we are. And yet we come at it from such different places. Mm -hmm. You know, Yael is definitely more of the Israeli, you know, very, very passionate about her, you know, national pride and being an Israeli and like the Holocaust and, and sort of the Jewish history of it. And, you know, I come from a, a part of a community where like, you know, what we eat every single day makes a difference and how we right. behave on the holidays and on Shabbat. And, you know, I cover my hair and, you know, like all of these things. I mean, my Judaism is so much more ritualistic on a daily basis. And so it's really fascinating. And yet I can't say that I'm more Jewish than Yael. If I, right. I was, I was going to ask. I say just, that all the time. More Jewish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, in a way, yeah, but I, I I really don't feel comfortable saying that because we just we may express it differently. But like your Judaism, saying this to you, like your Judaism is so central to you. How can I say that I'm less Jew? You're less yeah. Jewish than me. Or well, less I don't think of when I think of my identity. You know, if you ever played one of those games where you're like, what are your core identities? Whatever. Like, I don't think of Jewish as a core one. You like, don't? I think, no, but I think of Israeli as first. Even though oh I'm god, I hate when you say that. <laughs> Well, but that's the thing. I'm still Jewish. Like you still have me. Like as we like to say on yeah, but show. What does like, that mean? I well, to me, my Israeliness is like the center of how I relate to the world, right? So even like my mannerisms, I think sometimes are a little more Middle Eastern than they are like American American Jewish. And obviously, being Israeli has a lot to do with Judaism. But if I met like like an Israeli tomorrow who's Christian or, or Muslim and we kind of had the same upbringing, I feel like I would maybe feel more in common with them than with like a random Jew from Long Island, you know? That's interesting. Yeah. Because... See, I don't feel that way. <laughs> you don't feel that way about me. <laughs> but no. we bond over we bond no. over our shared love of uh, Beverly Hills, 90210 and the Holocaust, <laughs> which are... Uh, <laughs> favorite topic our two main passions yeah very passionate and anti-semitism we like to critique anti-semitism yeah i could talk about auschwitz and jason Priestley ad nauseum so <laughs> well, we should, we should write day. like a fan fiction of beverly hills minus 210 oh god oh god they would not have been able to survive no Donna, well, maybe, three days i i don't know i no. feel like i feel like brenda would be able to survive yeah. yeah, Kelly. Yeah, forget she could have. Donna forget. Kelly, no way. No. Steve Donna would go, three Steve days. would go be like a camp guard, like a what, Jewish. Steve doctor. would like turn on everyone. Yeah. Oh, what about it, Andrea? We forgot about Andrea. She'll be like the the spiritual um, leader. <laughs> That's really funny. I grew up watching that show too. And everybody, we moved to Minnesota, and oh. my brother and everybody was like, "Are you guys like nine hundred two one because it's yeah they came from there yeah brandon and brenda moved, oh my god i'm so embarrassed how well i know the show yeah <laughs> yeah and um i'll probably We're like their parents age now <laughs> we are now we are oh it's funny i've always wanted to go to israel and that's interesting that you but i guess it makes sense because like it's not you you grew up Kaleo with American culture. So, I mean, I guess if you grow yeah. up with like Israeli culture and the foods and the things, you would relate more to somebody who grew up with that similar experience. Yeah. Serving in the military is a big part of our identity, too. It's kind of yeah. Like 
Um, and you know, the culture, the music, the heat, the, you know, it's such a small country. It's the size of New Jersey. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot going on. And, um, I told this story in our previous podcast episode, but I had uh, dinner with some friends a few, a uh, few nights ago at an Israeli restaurant. Uh, and we had, um, you know, um, it was like a few American friends and there was one Palestinian guy who I didn't know too well, but I'd met him before. And we were ordering food and it was like a hummus restaurant. And all my wonderful friends who I adore, but they were kind of idiots at the moment because they all ordered like an appetizer and a main course instead of doing what you're supposed to do, which is sharing. Right. And, and so <laughs> me and this Palestinian guy look at each other and we don't even know each other that well. We're like, do you want to share? Cause like, like normal people. And he's like, sure. <laughs> so, you know, even things like, you know, food and I don't know, talk music. What, um, what's, what do you think about guns? Uh, it's interesting. You know, in Israel, it's not, um, that there's no strong feeling about them one way or the other people serve in the military. They have them and, does everyone have one because they serve in the military or, or do you have to like turn What's the, what's the, what are the gun laws in Israel? They're actually very strict. They're very they strict. A lot of people have them because a lot of people work in some security capacity. So you'll see a lot of times in Israel, um, there'll be a terrorist attack and the terrorists will be neutralized by somebody yeah. in the vicinity, but it's, it's never just a hobbyist with a gun. It's usually like an off duty, something like a, or other. A good guy with a gun. Yeah, but <laughs> there's no, there's not really a gun culture there of like people right. collecting yeah. guns and trading guns. Like that's not really a thing in Israel. Do you have to like turn your gun in when you're done being in the military? Yeah. 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 It's usually like a like. I mean, I, I didn't carry one throughout my service just here and there. But if, if you do carry throughout your whole service, you, you definitely want to turn it in because it's probably like a rifle, like a big rifle. <laughs> And it's interesting because when you're there, you do see a lot more guns than you'd see here because people like you could be out for dinner and like at the table next to you, there's a, sometimes a girl or a guy wearing like a, an Uzi over their right. shoulder, you know, because they're either on duty or off, you know, whatever. They have to carry their guns with them. So you see more guns, but there's no it's very different than the American gun culture. Well, unless you're like in a te in Texas, where you see yeah. you know, where people yeah. right, I guess. like open yeah, carry. Yeah, yeah. So it just yeah. I think it depends on what state you're in. Um, yeah. Although most people aren't walking around with their rifles all the time. So, yeah, I think you do. Even in Texas, I actually don't see. I think most people can seal carry. In the Orthodox culture, what is the what's the feeling about guns? I mean, I think when I was growing up, it was very uncommon for people to have guns. And it's just not really like part of the Orthodox culture. But things have definitely changed. I think since 9-11, it's been much different people take security much more seriously and after like all the shootings and all the things happening in europe and kind of just the whole change of sort of the atmosphere around terrorism and you know even domestic terrorism in general mm -hmm. um synagogues i mean orthodox synagogues are all like secured with you know armed guards mm -hmm. and people within the synagogues carrying um we have like a it's really amazing. There's an amazing organization in LA called the Mugain Am, which is like all volunteer based and it's all community members who take so much of their own personal time. They go get trained, they get weapon trained. They are completely like given over to security for the community and they take turns on Shabbat, you know, monitoring the synagogue, guarding outside. They're in full dress, like, wow. like in, you know, like 
I don't know, combat gear looks like. And they take on the responsibility of protecting the community. I mean, when you have 100 kids at synagogue on Shabbat, you're not waiting for 911 to show up if somebody right. comes in with a gun. Yeah. So it's... It's a bit of a controversial thing because I think like the more liberal parts of the Jewish world are struggling with this more because they're pretty much, you know, anti-gun and they don't like the idea of armed guards and whatever. The Orthodox world is the opposite. They are very happy to have security at all Jewish institutions and make sure that people are checked properly when they come in and vetted and they take it seriously. This was something interesting I was listening to in one of your recent podcasts, just how this um, I think I can't remember his name. It was a hard to produce pr pronounce name, but it was the crypto, the crypto Jew episode. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he was talking about yeah. growing up and defending himself against people who might be anti-Semitic and then having somebody pull him aside and say, oh, that's like you can't sink to the, like the goyim. That's what that's like. Only they they get to be violent, I guess, and yeah. <laughs> that was really interesting to me thinking about that. Like, what well, what are you supposed to do? You know, like if you can't just like roll over and take it? Of course, no. The Orthodox world won't do that anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think that there are parts of the Jewish world that wish that we would, but after like the Crown Heights riots in the early '90s, and you know, the the Orthodox communities in Brooklyn and all over, actually all over the country, have you know their own police guards and their own like high, you know, high, you know, volunteer and hire. They have their own ambulance services. They really take care of their needs because at the end of the day, like we just, I don't know, maybe it's trauma from the Holocaust. Maybe it's trauma from just being, we're like the Jews of the Jews, you know, as they say, we're like the minority of the minority. And so maybe there's just a sense of like, we have to really take care of ourselves and not rely on anyone else. Mm -hmm. And so that it's, it's a big part of our culture. Interesting. And, yeah. and are the women allowed to kind of arm themselves? Yeah, that's, it's an interesting question. Cause women, obviously it's, we're very patriarchal. I mean, and I say that not in like a I mean, I know that sounds not in like a feminist, say, right? not in a, yeah, I'm not saying it like, oh my God, we're in such a patriarchy. Sorry, but um, <laughs> we're a very gender, right. genderized community. Um, and so, yeah, definitely women in the past didn't, but now there's like a big group of women who are getting trained and carrying weapons with them and doing like shifts on, you know, guard duty. And yeah, so women are much more involved in it now. Yeah, it's really interesting too. Like I've been thinking so much about guns and gun culture and um it just being in Texas versus being in California and growing up very liberal and being um kind of indoctrinated to to be afraid of guns and not really grow up it, with them in the home or and actually parents who are quite anti just having my own personal evolution i guess around it where i'm like this seems like a pretty cool thing to be able to like level the playing field in a situation where i don't have a physical advantage as a woman but it's i i, I never really knew that it was pretty strict in israel although that would probably make some some sense yeah it's not a cultural issue like it is here like i don't yeah, think right. feel strongly one way or the other about it i think it just i think it's a uniquely american thing the second amendment I don't know. I can't speak for other countries, but I, I doubt that other countries have like a significant, like strong feelings. Like we have strong feelings about abortion in Israel, like people do here, but guns and I don't know. I never really heard people very passionate about them one way or the other. 
Yeah, it's funny. And, and my European friends are all like, you guys are so weird about abortion. Like your strong feelings about abortion. They, they're like, well, you're pretty chill about it in Europe. They seem to yeah. kind of have it. Uh, they've yeah. reached some very, some compromise that everyone seems to be somewhat okay with. It's not like a, they're like, it's just not like a culture war flashpoint here. Yeah. Well, we've kind of let the Christian right, you know, take over the conversation around abortion. I mean, in all reality, I, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's sort of who, who leads the conversation around abortion. And I don't think they let that in Europe or in Israel, really. Interesting. It's different. Yeah. What's a, in, like, the, in Israel? Who? What's the who's the controversy between around abortion? Um, I don't. Well, first of all, I don't think it's like a day to day thing that people talk about that much. But when it does come up, um, I think you have to go through a like a committee um, to get wanna, to get one. Yeah, but I, I don't think and I might be wrong. I hope you won't get angry emails. But I don't think it's. I something will get angry that, emails no matter what. <laughs> regardless, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's something that people are really like. They don't get denied, you know, for religious mm. reasons. Like people who get abortions. Um, but well, it is, yeah, because Judaism and Christianity don't view abortion in the same way, so it's different in Israel than it would be here. How does Judaism view it? According to Jewish law. If the mother's life is in danger or if the baby is not viable, abortion is absolutely allowed. The baby does not have, pre does not take precedent over the mother at all um, because it's not really a life according to Jewish law until it's born. Mm -hmm. So it's like a complicated, but, but that doesn't mean that Judaism wants it to be a form of birth control. It's that that's not allowed. So it would, it's very circumstantial and it would depend on the situation. So again, like if a mother's life is in danger for health reasons, and that means it could be emotionally, mentally, physically. Yeah. You, you can get through, an elective abortion. You 100%. can, okay. but not, not just, but the, you would go, I mean, if, according to Jewish law, I'm not saying what people do, but I'm saying according to Jewish law, you would ask your rabbi and your rabbi would say, if your doctor thinks that you need to have an abortion, absolutely go ahead and have an abortion. So okay. it's different than the Christian. Yeah. But the rabbis, I mean, it's important to say like the rabbis are not involved in the decision-making in Israel for the abortion. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's like completely the state is, Yeah. you know, the state institutions are independent. Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car on Carvana first. Ooh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do is answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Come. Shall I take your order, or do you need a minute? Yes, I'll be ready. Just buying a car on Carvana. What? It's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. What? That's handy. Yeah. Now I'm customizing my down and monthly payments. What? That's an exquisite deal. And just like that, Carvana's delivering my car in a couple days. What? Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry. I'll have the burrito. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Delivery fees may apply. From Israel, what do you miss the most about that, the culture? Ah, mm. uh, wow, the food. Um, I, miss I miss the food, and I've never been to Israel. <laughs> <laughs> you have to take you. We have to take you on our next trip. I'm um, dying to go. My husband and I have been wanting to go for so long because we're we are we have Jewish souls. I think. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll take you. <laughs> I took um, a few people on a trip. 
uh, last year that you know I think some of them and we oh yeah was that time. like Melissa Chen and all yeah, all of them? yeah okay yeah I'm dying I'm dying to go I will take my daughter I oh, I don't care I want to we need to get on it but it was so much I fun know. last time and experiencing it I love experiencing Israel through the eyes of people who have never been before yeah um I miss, I think, um, I mean, it's good and bad because when I come to Israel, it drives me crazy sometimes how direct and open everybody is and kind yeah. of like very, very in your face. Um, and I still sometimes even living here since 2007 and working in, you know, American institutions, I feel like I still sometimes like have a hard time with the like, hello, I hope this email finds you well kind of nature right. of <laughs> communications. Um, I miss that. And then, you know, Israel is very, like, Israelis always ask why. There's a great book called Startup Nation by Dan Center um, that talks about why Israel became a startup, uh, you know, hub. And he says a lot of it is because the culture is very informal like you call your mm -hmm. teacher by their first name, you call your commander in the army by their first name. Wow. Somebody asks you, your boss asks you to do something, you ask him why. And if you think it's a stupid idea, you tell them, I think your idea is stupid. Wow. Um, so, so, you know, it's, it's not like hierarchical in, in some no, sense. No, no, very, I mean, yeah. you know, it's not completely anarchy, but like it's it's not hierarchical. Like if you call, if you work for like a minister or something, you call them by their first name. Mm -hmm. um, so why is that very well i think we're just an informal culture like mm. you know uh i think the culture is such a melting pot of and melting pot still isn't like a bad word in israel but you have it will be know, in 10 years yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> soon enough um 50 maybe like half of the population is eastern european jews like myself whose family came from poland germany austria whatever and the other half are Sephardic Jews who are kind of, you know, um, from Arab descent. So Iraq, Iran, uh, Morocco, Libya. And it's just created like this hodgepodge of a culture that's, I, I don't know, I enjoy it most of the time. I, I have a new Israeli staff member and I took him out the other day and he just arrived in America and he is so Israeli. And I was like, you need to calm down. Like so we, walked in, we walked into a coffee shop and he, and like the server who was like a male, you know, wearing nail polish, like, you know, he was an interesting guy. He was like serving someone else. And my staff person is like, and my friend, my friend, he's screaming across the room. Yeah. Can I smoke in here? And I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, you, just, you need to like tone it down, calm down, wait till he's done. Like we don't rush. We just we're especially in Southern California, like just, wait, the, let the person finish. And then you can ask your questions. I mean, I took him to the bank to open an account. I'm like, Oh, shut up. Like he just was asking a million questions a minute. <laughs> the poor teller was like looking at me. I'm like, I'm sorry. He's not from here. Like fresh off the just, boat. Yeah. When I was in Sri Lanka, I was told to tell all of the vendors that I was Israeli. There are tons <laughs> of Israelis because they said they would basically like wear them down and waste so much of their time. <laughs> Not to oh like reinforce God. any negative stereotypes. No, it's hundred percent true. None. They were such a pain in the ass. They would just basically give them whatever like their bargain was because That's they knew hilarious. they would lose five customers trying like trying to go back and forth with his That's in Israeli. So Sometimes stereotypes are are based on truth. And I but honestly, honestly, that's my one of my worst stereotypes though, because like I cannot handle bargaining with people. Like mm -hmm. I, oh you, if they say it's twenty, I'm like, let me give you thirty. Like I can't. I'm so <laughs> 
so American in that way. I'm so uncomfortable. And when I go to Israel, and I go to Israel a lot, and like we spend time in the shuk over there, where it's just like where you can bargain. Yeah, yeah. I I can't stand. I cannot stand next to somebody who's bargaining. Like it's so uncomfortable for me. I I crawl out of my skin. Yeah. Just pay. Just pay. I can't. Oh. Yeah, I was I was Jewish. in like a negotiation and it was with an Israeli and he was like, I have to say, you negotiate like you're Israeli. And I was like, <laughs> I take that as a compliment. I think that's a compliment. He's yeah. like, you're a pain in the ass. <laughs> I'm the worst. I'm not good at that. So I have a friend in my virtual like mommy chat that has saved my life. Um over the past few years during pregnancy had started and she moved to Israel uh, with her two kids and she's constantly talking about just how different the like even mommy culture is over there versus coming from America and how challenging it could be but um, just like how straightforward or aggressive yeah. like some of the it came across yeah. but now she's I, embraced it fully. Everybody's in everybody's business in Israel, yeah, too. Yeah, that's what she said. So people, I'm sure people come up to her all the time and comment about what her baby all is the time. wearing and the stroller is not good for him. And, or, and they're not behaving else. the right way. And yeah. yeah. But I'll tell you something. That was one thing that I was very jealous of. I really wish I would have raised my kids in Israel. It's so much easier, in a sense, than raising kids here. Like I have four sons, and they were born in seven years. So I had like four little boys, you know? And I would go to Israel and see, you know, little eight-year-old boys walking their younger brothers to the ice cream store and going around and doing errands for their moms and get, you know, picking up cleaners. Like you'd be arrested. Such a more, I'm here, I mean, <laughs> literally, you cannot do anything here. It's like yeah. it's the worst place, I think, to raise kids at this moment. Yeah, we like, were very free it's, range. It's so much easier in Israel. We so were. I've heard that, and we were. It's. I was just out. Um, on this visiting like a ranch this past weekend and all these people grew up in Texas and they were telling these stories and they're older they were telling these stories about how when they were kids they would hop fences and they were seven they were boys and they would go like it's seven years old and they would go for like three days and camp and find their own food and skin it and hunt I was like what happened this wasn't that long ago now you yeah, can't if you let your seven-year-old do that you'd be your kid would be taken away from you i know it's yeah. so it's wild terrible. there's it's also terrible. like we take on a lot of responsibility at a young age a lot of kids yeah. in israel are involved in like youth movements so mm. my nieces are both they're all like three of them they're like 15 and 16 they're twins uh that are 16 and uh or 17 maybe i don't know Anyway, they're all like already leading groups of children, you know, leading yeah. like fourth and fifth graders and going like we, we, when we went to summer camp in Israel, it wasn't like with cabins and stuff. They just throw a bunch of you in the middle of the woods um, and be like, go build like shelter. So, again, I don't want to romanticize it too much because there's, a, you know, I always I read like babysitters club books growing up and I was like jealous <laughs> of their summer camps. Yeah. <laughs> where people didn't like get, you know dysentery and, and uh, <laughs> but um but you know i'm sure there, there's an advantage to growing up that way too no but it only works in societies where people take responsibility for people even if they don't know them right and that's yeah. like if you've ever read sebastian younger's book tribe that's like his whole idea is like we need to 
in America, we don't take responsibility for each other. If you see somebody do something going wrong for someone, usually what do you do? You walk away, right? Don't ask questions. Don't get involved. He's like, that is such a low trust society. And you can't raise kids if people aren't going to be like, oh, I recognize that kid from a few blocks down. Let me make sure he's okay. You know, and that's what it's like in Israel. I mean, we have that in the Orthodox community. I mean, everybody's too much in your business. But in a way, it's safer. Like, you know, your kids can be out there. And I know my son was in Zurich by himself for two, like a full day on a layover. And he didn't know whatever. He Googled a kosher restaurant. He took an Uber there from the airport. It It didn't exist. And he was like stuck in the middle of Zurich and he didn't have food. And then he noticed like an Orthodox Jewish woman um, walking. And so he went over to her and he told her the story and she put him in her car right away, drove him to the Jewish neighborhood, got him food. You know, that's yeah. a kind of like trust that you have when you're in like an in-group. Yeah. And it's just easier to raise kids that way, you know. Not, to get, too, uh, not to get too morbid, but in Israel, when there's <laughs> a terrorist, yeah, when there's a terrorist <laughs> attack, uh, which happens pretty often, I think there's a rule or an, I don't know if it's written or unwritten that anybody can come into the crime scene and help. So, you know, if you have medical experience, if you take or to take people in your personal car to the hospital. And I think I read that other European countries have started doing that, too. Oh, wow. um, just because there's a lot of like red tape busting I guess, right. when you live in societies like these. Yeah. Yeah. We've been watching kind of obsessively. My my daughter's obsessed with it. This it, we were watching it when I was pregnant. But now she's become obsessed with this documentary, Becoming You. And it's on Apple TV. And mm-hmm. it follows 100 kids around uh-huh. the world for the first 2,000 days of their wow. – um, wow. I heard about it from the woman um, uh, Skenazy. Well, I'm oh, Lenore. Lenore, Lenore. Yeah. Lenore Skenazy. So she told me about it when she was on the podcast, and now we're, like, addicted because the she talked about in Japan, a high-trust society – they have this idea of the first errand and you send your three-year-old out to do an errand by themselves. And then there was this little girl and she's three years old and her parents are out fishing and they live in the, by like the, the Banju tribe. They live on stilts outside of, in like the South Pacific. And they, she just like jumps in the water and swims over to her friends and she doesn't even, she's never swam before, but they're like, come play with us. And, and the woman, the narrator is like this, you know, this might seem strange (laughs) if you're viewing (laughs) this from the West, but this is actually quite common. And there was like a four-year-old and he was just cruising around in his canoe trying to open a coconut, but just on the open (laughs) ocean at four years old and. It's amazing. Even talking to these people at the ranch, just thinking about how much we underestimate our kids and, you know, coddle them in this in this society and make. But from what my friend in Israel says in this mommy chat, it's not the case at all. They get it does seem like the kids have a lot more freedom and responsibility. And um, we grew up pretty free range. I'm the oldest of five. So, I oh, think when similar. you're like your own little tribe, you yeah, know, you just start <laughs> naturally kind of watching out. I still do it on the beach to this day where all my cousins have kids and there will be kids and I'll notice that I'm like counting heads oh all the time. Oh, I'm like, I do that. I'm being the freaking oldest. I do. Same. I have the yeah, same the issue. I was a kid that would get lost and somebody else would have yeah. to like find no. yeah. The younger, my younger siblings don't have this. They're like, oh, Bridget, you're so neurotic. I'm like, I was counting your motherfucking heads. That's right. <laughs> you weren't drowning on the beach. 
My whole right. childhood. <laughs> same. Oh my, I'm the oldest of my family and I'm the exact same way. And I view all my nieces and nephews like my grandchildren. I don't yeah. know. I'm like constantly watching them and nervous about them. And I know it's, we can't help it. What's, we just can't. What is, um, so Yael, Yael, you don't have children, right? No. Yeah, okay. So what have you guys kind of learned from each other in, in that like, parallel universe that you each <laughs> occupy um i don't know Hila, what have you learned from me you know i think <laughs> oh boy this is a landmine i don't want to step on a landmine here um Hila wants everybody I, to get married and have kids i do i mean i'm a, I'm, a believer in that i'm yes. kind of it's funny because i feel like i i've gone from being more like yeah i've like transitioned <laughs> I saw, did you guys see this like woman who went viral for saying that she like yeah. was napping and yeah, yeah, yeah. now the whole internet's bullying her, but she went viral and she's like, I'm going to learn how to make shakshuka and I'm good because no. I can and yeah. I, I I'm going to nap. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll be completely honest. Um, and I think we've spoken about a little bit on our show. Like I, you know, in a, in a different world, I you know, if I had met somebody earlier and settled down, I think I would have had a family, um, you know, but whatever shape it takes at this point in my life, I'll be happy with it. Mm -hmm. um, I know I have some girlfriends who are very much like adamant that they don't want kids. And I have some girlfriends who are uh, really like really wish that they had kids and are really trying to actively work towards that. And I have a lot of girlfriends like me who are just like, you know, it would have been nice if this would have happened, but not something that we'd like if if we wanted to settle like not settle down but settle and just like meet somebody and and get married and have babies we would have done that a long time ago so it's kind of like a, a bit more zen approach to that like whatever happens happens at this point so it's i think this is similar to what i always said i didn't necessarily want kids i wanted a family yeah. and i think there's you know there's a lot of talk and particularly the manosphere but online in general where it's like sure feminism has been has its problems and undermining kind of male female relations but i feel like a lot of the blame gets put on women and not necessarily just the lack of high quality men that are out there available so a lot of these guys will be like women need to like the birth rates collapsing <laughs> women need to be out there getting yeah. knocked up and like okay, well, don't be a soft-fingered douchebag who just, like, sits online and bitches all day. Maybe yeah. encourage men to go be... Maybe be more bangable so women... May and you. maybe it's so hard, like, holy shit, the dating world. I, I should, like, get paid to be a consultant, but my girlfriend <laughs> will text me and be like, what do I do with this guy? And, what, and I don't even... They cannot read between the lines, you know? Yeah. I yeah. dated so many assholes that I am like fluent in douchebag and yeah. they'll be sending me like their interactions and they're I'm like do you want like the honest truth about what this guy is like or do you want like the thing you want to hang on to because you want to hang on to hope because yeah what was that book he's just not that into you yeah but it's it's even worse than that now now it's like men do have it so easy they don't even have to like try to court a woman because there's so many yeah. options and it, it's but I don't think it's actually good for either of the yeah I mean my my hot take on on dating is that I think there are a lot of good guys out there and good women 
And I think sometimes there's like a mismatch. And I, you know, I'll, I'll say for, for myself, like, you know, and in my past when I was dating, I was more like, I would meet a lot of great guys that I wasn't necessarily interested in. And I couldn't blame them, you know, um, and vice versa, you know, I met, met a lot of assholes too. So it's, it's hard, but I, you know, I, I definitely encourage my, my girl. I have girlfriends who have just given up dating um, altogether. And I, th that's kind of not sad because it's their choice, but I'm like, why? All you need, you know, all you need is one. I have a, a really good friend of mine who's just, just got engaged and she was on Bumble forever and ever and ever and went on a million dates and then finally went on like that first, that first last date. Oh, I just come from such a different, <laughs> the I way from... you said that was so like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, she's very happy. So. I... It's just funny the way you said that. You're like that first last date. <laughs> <laughs> we lost yeah. one. Uh... I, come, I come from such a different world. I mean, we were, you know, we get married very young. We're set up, it's arranged, like, I don't like the word arranged marriages because we do have a choice if we want to marry the person. But the whole idea of like family and romance and love and intimacy is just so different than the way that our culture talks about it and thinks about it. And so I don't know. I like I'm working really hard. What I've learned from Yael is like I'm working really hard on not feeling bad for people who don't have families <laughs> because like I realize that many I'm learning that they're fine. not pathetic. They're not pathetic <laughs> and they're happy and have very fulfilling lives and meaningful lives. And like, I just, I'm working like that is something that I, you know, it, it's different for me because like I, you're I, trying not to pity them. Exactly. I yeah. hate to say Thanks. it, but I'm sorry, Elle. No, I don't mean to say that like that, but you know, it's just, I really, my whole world is built around family and community. So it's, it's just interesting to see people like, first of all, choose that lifestyle, not to have that. And second of all, to be happy and really like, I know I'm friends with people who are really satisfied with their lives. And I think that's good. I mean, also, I have, the difference between you and me, Hyla, I think is I know a lot more divorced people than you do probably in my yeah. community. Oh, right? that's interesting so, too. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's true. Can you get divorced in Orthodox or are you just? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Is it common? Um, it's not, I mean, it's definitely not as common as it is in the secular world. But seculars? It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> but it's becoming more common and it, it happens. I mean, definitely there are terrible marriages and nobody should be forced to stay in a bad marriage. But, you know, we look, I've said this a million times to people who listen, sorry, those who listen to our podcast, but our whole sort of outlook on marriage and relationships and family is different. It's not a fairy tale. It's not pretty woman, you know, where he's going to just sweep you off your feet and, you know, you're going to live happily ever after and everything's going to be perfect. Like life is hard, you know, marriage is hard. Relationships are hard. And this whole notion of like, oh, my husband is my everything. He's my best friend and my lover and my, it's just bullshit. And like, nobody yeah. ever tells us that no one ever in our community says your husband's going to be everything to you. No, yeah. your husband is your partner. You're going to have kids together. You're going to raise them. You're going to build a home together. We're very, there's a lot of emphasis on like, the idea of like building a home, right? And that is like what it is. Your husband does not have to be your best friend. He's not your girlfriend that you need to tell about your period cramps to because he's never going to relate. You know, yeah. like you just have to be realistic about what each of you are capable of giving the other. And I, I think if you can like lower the expectations a little bit and really be realistic about what you can be, I think it just is easier. And it just gives you a more sustainable model for like, 
how marriage could work because it's really hard. Yo, next round is about to start. You ready? Yeah, yeah, just shopping for a car in Carvana. For real? Yeah, Carvana makes it super convenient to shop whenever, wherever. For real? That's a ton of car options. Yep, and these are all within my price range. For really real? You can afford that? Yeah, with Carvana. And boom, just like that, I'm getting it delivered in a couple days. For really, really real? You just bought a car. For real, and you just lost. My turn. Visit Carvana.com to shop for thousands of vehicles under $20,000. Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Ooh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do is answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. I I find, too, like people who come from parents who are still together and have really good loving marriages, it's actually been harder for them because they have such high standards. Yeah. So yeah. my That's standards true. were pretty like my parents. I come from divorce. So I think yeah. I underestimated my first marriage. I underestimated just what marriage was because I just was like, ah, it's like this thing you can do. And. And it really, what I learned from my first marriage is that it was more meaningful than I actually thought it was. And this time around, it feels more, we were older, but but we also had that instant connection, but then we broke up and and then got back together. But it feels more grounded in reality. Yeah, (laughs) that's really important. It's really important. I remember the first fight I had with my husband. I'm married 22 years now, so it was like wow. I don't know, 22 years ago. I was crying. I called my mother and I let, I said, I think we're getting divorced. And my mother was like, what? I mean, what do you mean? What do you mean you're getting divorced? And I was like, we had a fight. And she was like, so? I was like, well, you and – I was like, you and – we call my father Tati. That's like the Yiddish word. I'm like, you and Tati never fight. She was like, are you crazy? She's like, of course we fight. I'm like, I never saw you fight. Like our parents didn't fight in front of us. They right. didn't. There was no, I didn't see, I mean, I want, I remember once in a while of little arguments, but I never saw my parents fighting. I didn't have, like, they just didn't do it in front of us. So I literally thought my husband and I were done because we had our first fight, you know? Were they and, loving and affectionate or was it just more um, like part business partners? So they were loving in a se- in a way. Yeah. Very like there was a lot of laughing and teasing each other, but no physical affection. Um, mm. We don't, it's like, we're very private about physical affection in general. And so most couples don't touch in front of their kids at all. Um, I mean, not like, I mean, casually you can, but they wouldn't like kiss in front of, no way. I've never saw my parents. Oh my God, ew. I've never seen my parents kiss. <laughs> I think that's a universal ew. Yeah. yeah. But like, I, you know, yeah. So it's, but, but a lot of teasing and laughing. My, I grew up in a very happy, like fun home where everybody loved each other, but I'm very privileged in that way. If I have any privilege, it's that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I, uh, yeah, so after 22 years, I realized like we are modeling to our children what they could have in their lives. And I really try to think about that all the time. Like every time I am rude to my husband, you know, or mean or belittling or whatever, I'm like, I am showing my kids what is acceptable or what's not acceptable. And it, I have to be a role model 
I mean, that's what our that's our jobs for that is, in my opinion, my husband, and I most important job is to be role models for our kids. And so we really try to think about that. And so isn't that nice that I don't have to be a role model to anyone? Yes, it is actually. <laughs> you Stumble can do whatever the fuck you want. Drunk and yeah. like eat like a bag of Cheetos on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> I I definitely, I I kind of like snuck in under the wire and got, a, and it like my daughter was a kind of a miracle child and I was very zen about things. I was like, I kind of just surrendered to the idea that we got married so late. I was 42 when I had her. Um, so it was very surprising, but I also feel I have like this weird I can't explain it. It's like survivor's guilt coming out yeah. of like modern feminism. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think it's wrong to want all these, you know, all of these things. I, I don't, like I said, for my girlfriends, I feel like it, it's only a small minority of them who are like very adamantly say that they don't want a family or they don't want a relationship. I think others are just kind of, it's under something like there's something underneath it, but you know, like you said, I think family and the notion of family is if it's important to you that you, it can take it can take other forms. For me, it's, it's very important. So if it means like stepkids or if it means like even just having a, a partner um, and, you know, some pets or I don't know, a, a close circle of friends, it is, you know, there, yeah. there's a lot a lot to, to say for that as well. That's true. Are that your parents true. still together? Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and are they years. here or are they in Israel? Uh, my parents are in Israel. Uh, okay. My whole family is there. So my sisters are there and I have seven oh. uh, nieces and nephews there. And we're very close. We're always like chatting and WhatsApp and talking. And, you know, my sisters laugh that I'm very close to everybody because I'm not there. So I don't have to, you know, I don't have to deal with a lot it's of day-to-day -day conflict. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. But yeah, we, uh, we grew up very close and also with a large... Uh, group of family friends. Yep. So kids that I grew up with that are kind of like cousins in addition to my other cousins. So just co very communal, I guess. Where Where are you in the birth order? I'm the youngest. You're the youngest. Okay. The baby, yeah. Okay. And do you get back home a lot? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going next week. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, I try to go uh, twice a year, sometimes once a yeah. year for a longer period of time. I'm lucky that I have a job that I can sort of work from anywhere. Um, so I can, I can work from there. Um, and then my, you know, my, sometimes my family members will come here. It's, you know, when you live in New York, everybody, like everybody in Israel knows about New York. They know, yeah. you know, Statue of Liberty and Broadway and all these things that we saw on TV. So it's, it's not too hard to get people to, to come visit. And what have you yeah. learned from Hialeah in the, in your, in the, podcast um what have i learned oh i'm so Hialeah. curious yeah what'd you um, learn from me <laughs> i learned um i'm trying to come up with like a smart ass joke but I, answer, <laughs> but I couldn't um i i mean this is gonna sound obnoxious but um like i learned that orthodox people are are people you know just, just like us. <laughs> i love that um, you guys learned each other are people yeah, like the journalists are people yeah <laughs> <laughs> Especially in Israel, there's so much conflict and tension and, and, you know, we kind of tend to, to look down our noses at them sometimes yeah. and they're like, what, oh, why do you, sorry, go on. I didn't mean to oh, interrupt. Um, no. So, so, you know, we, we don't, I mean, we don't really, um, maybe sometimes at work, 
uh, or in the military for, for those who from the Orthodox who serve in the military, uh, we connect with people. But I would say like most of my secular friends don't have religious friends and, and vice versa. And why um, were you saying you kind of looked down on the and why? Oh my I God, secular Jews wish Orthodox Jews would just disappear. Let's be honest. It's true. That's true. What, why uh, is this? Because, well, politically, there's just a lot of conflict over resources. There's a lot of conflict around ultra Orthodox not serving in the military and and taking up a lot of um, a lot of uh, welfare. And Chayla, like I see her write, writing her notes to rebut them. Um, and also there's a Israeli, secular Israelis are very, very defensive about the secular parts of their lives. So anytime there's like, they just open up a light rail in Tel Aviv and the light rail is not going to be open uh, on the weekend on Shabbat. And that's like, that's like a huge deal for a lot of people because they over, sometimes the secular people over, like they want to make sure that everything is always like open sometimes in, in a way that's offensive to Orthodox people. And then Orthodox people want everything to be religious in a way that's offensive right. to secular people. So there's a lot of conflict around that. And I think we see ourselves, you know, as saying we like, you know, the, the general, the, the average secular Israeli will see him or herself as like very modern, very European, you know, we, we travel abroad and we go and we eat our non-kosher, like, you know, we eat our, our, shrimp and shop at H&M or whatever. Um, and we kind of look at them as like more old fashioned. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think that a lot of secular Jews, and this is more like also American Jews, not just Israelis, but I think a lot of liberal, I would say liberal Jews or secular Jews are embarrassed by Orthodox Jews. It's like, oh, yeah. we're, we're enlightened, <laughs> you know, we've, we're assimilated. Like that was a huge part of, you know, sort of coming to America and, and embracing American culture. And we, you know, you don't have to dress the way we did in Eastern Europe and we don't have to like sound like Eastern European refugees anymore. We're now like fully integrated into American culture. Why do you have to look different? Why do you have yeah. to talk differently? Why do you have to educate your kids differently? And I think there's just a sense, and I'm sure people are going to be screaming at, me while I'm saying this. No, they're going to scream at Bridget. Their it's computers. Okay. <laughs> no, and that's fine. I, can I take mean, it. it's fine. No, no, no. It's okay. I don't even care if they yell at me. I think there's definitely a sense of embarrassment. And the truth is, is that the Orthodox community, in it's part of what an Orthodox community is, is insular, right? We're not trying to win friends and, and you know, uh, followers. I mean, although the particular Hasidic sect that I belong to is very into outreach and bringing Jews in and, and teaching them about our lifestyle. But most ultra-Orthodox Jews are like, okay, you don't like us. We do not give a damn. Like, it right. doesn't matter. We're going to dig in our heels and this is the lifestyle that we choose and this is a free country and we can do whatever we want. And the more you don't like us, the more strict we're going to get, right? The more, the, like, the more, uh, you know, influenced by outside culture you are, we're going to, we're going to get more and more and more insular and 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 closed off from yeah. polite society and, and what do israelis what do israelis want than more than anything else Hila? to be secular americans no, that's for people to want. like us for and people for people to, to like yeah. us. yeah really yeah yes yes yeah there's a very much oh like God. a sense of like because israel is so controversial and a lot of people haven't like normalized it and you know there are there are a lot of countries that have you know, their passports say that they're valid for every country except Israel, which is like kind of rude. Um, so we're <laughs> right. very much like about, you know, being accepted. Oh, interesting. Because it yeah. seems like they don't give a shit to me. 
Well, maybe more, maybe that's starting to change a little bit now too, because there's a lot of people who say like there's stuff that we've done and concessions that we've made in the past, um, that have literally blown up in our face. Um, but I feel like there's a way to walk, walk that line between, you know, international relations and protecting ourselves and our, our borders. And who is your audience? (laughs) <laughs> our podcast yeah our, our podcast our mothers <laughs> other than your family yeah. no i mean it's an interesting my last family is pretty big yeah um we get a lot of non-jews which actually kind of are my favorite um people write us sometimes from like iowa or i see i look at our numbers and i'm like there can't be that many jews in like you know finland yeah. that we yeah. have like <laughs> listeners there um, but we also, I'm also equally surprised when we get Orthodox Jews because we do, yeah. you know, they're we, not allowed to listen to podcasts. Well, that too. Yeah. <laughs> and they're not allowed to listen to no, women. They are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we do, you know, we do, we, we, we use uh, foul language sometimes. Sorry to highlight mother. I know. I know. Um, we talk a lot about the Holocaust. Like we do with our guests, like our non-Jewish guests, we talk about whether or not they would save us or they would hide us, um, if there was a Holocaust. Okay. And, you know, last last episode we compared, I think, the Nazis today, like in Orlando and how they're like less hot than the Nazis that we grew up on and like Schindler's List and, you know, American history. So it's not for everyone, uh, but apparently it's for a lot of people. So <laughs> it's irreverent, but I appreciate that. It's a little, little, little irreverent. Yeah. Yeah, I think it. I think it has to be. What What's your take on your audience, um, Yeah, I mean, I hear from all different kinds of people. I hear people who are like super angry at things I say on there. You know, feeling like I misrepresent their form of orthodoxy. And I always say, like, I'm just one person. I'm talking about my own experience and you know the way I view things and the way I live my life. And I think I'm pretty honest. I try to be like fair in the sense of like, I love this lifestyle. I I choose it every day, right? I don't have to, no one's forcing me to be an Orthodox Jew. I I make this choice every day, but I'm also able to call out the things that are bullshit in our community, Mm -hmm. right? And say like, this isn't right, or, or I don't appreciate that, or this is hard. And I think people, most people appreciate that. I think it's hard for some people to hear that, you know, because I think a lot of Orthodox Jews are very defensive. We're constantly hit over the head about everything we do from both sides, from all sides and all corners. So, you know, when someone from the like inside the community is sort of amplifying the issues, it bothers people like they'd rather me just be a cheerleader and say how incredible it is. And there are many incredible things. And I will happily talk about those things. And I love talking about those things. But I'll also be honest in the things that are hard and and parts of the community that need, you know, to change. So I get some feedback like that, but mostly people just think we're, some people think we're really weird and stupid and don't get why anyone listens. And then some people love us and are obsessed with our episodes and, you know, tell us how funny. And so it's really cute. It's fun. Yeah. yeah there's nobody, really um, there, there's really nobody like Hialeah, I think in public what does uh, that mean? World. Is that a good, in a tra- good way? I'm trying to give you a compliment. Oh, okay, um, good. Okay, keep going. Yeah, there's nobody who's, who talks the way you talk about, like, oh. orthodoxy. There's not a lot of uh, vocal women in this space. And if they are, it's usually, I mean, it's not as, as kind of, I don't know, open-minded or or very welcoming, um, like Hialeah. So I think a lot of people enjoy that that point of view that you just don't get to hear. 
much. Yeah, a lot of women in the Orthodox world who come out and like talk about it in public, like in in general society, are angry. There are a lot of women right, who like right. left the community, who've had bad experiences, who you know come out and they're like, let's you know all the Netflix shows and all yeah, the stuff I, about wasn't the Orthodox. There a show world. I feel like I yeah, watched Unorthodox. Yeah. Probably, okay, you probably yeah. watched Unorthodox. Yeah. So there's a lot of like those kinds <laughs> of angry, traumatized people and and their uh, their stories are really important and I love that they share them and and they should have a voice but you don't often hear people who like the community coming out and being like oh let me tell you why I love you know this world that I live in that seems crazy to people and you know and I really genuinely do love it um even though it's challenging sometimes but yeah it's what, just sometimes yeah go ahead no i was going to say what are the biggest challenges for you as as somebody hmm <laughs> the biggest Shabbat meal for 200 people every week. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of work involved in the there's way. There's so you know, much work. This is what my husband and I were work. talking about because we, yeah. like I was telling you guys before we started recording, I don't know why, like ever since I worked with autistic kids when I was uh, in my teens and 20s, um, they were the the families I worked for were Jewish. So I went to like Jewish camps with them. I went to all their holidays because I was an aide. And oh. so I ended up getting kind of immersed in, in Judaism very at, in my late teens, early 20s. And then coming back, I don't know, I feel I've always felt so weirdly connected. Yeah. And like I get so emotional when I hear anybody like the songs or any of the prayer. You're halfway the there. Yeah. <laughs> we'll take I, it. And so we got invited all the time to Shabbat when we were in LA and all of the holidays. And I joke like my daughter's been to more Jewish holidays than any any other religious holiday since she's been born. And we do it, have a lot of holidays. That's true. <laughs> my husband and I both have thought about converting separately before we even met. And we talk about it all the time. And then we'll go to Shabbat. And we're like, it's so much work. <laughs> like our friends are Orthodox. We're like, this just seems like so much work. It just... Is, it is a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, I grew kosher. up in it. Yeah. Keeping yeah. kosher is hard. Shabbat. I mean, I, Shabbat's my favorite thing. Like I would not, even if I found out I wasn't really Jewish tomorrow, like somehow it was a mistake, I would still keep Shabbat. Like I think it's, it's so a, good. It's a miracle. It's a yeah. savior. My family, it saves my family. Like yeah, for 25 hours. No, it's, it's for 25 hours. Our phones are away. Yeah. Like, we don't touch it. We don't look at the computers or TVs and like, yeah. I can't tell you what it does for me and my husband, my kids. It's just really, really good. Kosher, I would give up in a second. It is the worst part of being <laughs> an Orthodox Jew, um, especially living in a place like I do where I don't have kosher restaurants or whatever. I have to go up to LA for, you know, whatever I need and yeah. if I wanted to go out to eat or whatever. Um, so kosher is hard. I mean, as a woman, like, you know, I cover my hair. This is a, I'm wearing a wig and I wear skirts and, you know, whatever. So that's I'm jealous. So you wear a wig. I wish I could wear a wig. You are? Yeah. Really? You know how much work hair is? Yeah. I don't know. So, so this might be like a know. stupid question, but you have to shave, shave your head? No, we don't. We oh, don't. Okay. Some, it depends what Hasidic sect you come from. In some circles, they do. Um, but my in my Hasidic sect, that's not our custom at all. So and you just have to cover your hair, even you if it's with other hair. Yeah, yeah. So like this is... Uh, yeah, this is a human hair okay. <laughs> wig. They're quite expensive. Um, yes. And uh, yeah, but I have like my real hair is just underneath it. And it's, I mean, I wear it like up in a ponytail tucked under or whatever. But yeah, just from when we get married. We don't cover it before we're married. 
Got it. Just from yeah. And it's just because it's uh, so. Well, so hair after you're married, your hair kind of changes status and it becomes um, like an intimate part of your body, and only your husband is supposed to see your hair. Um, and it becomes like a, one of your private parts that you wouldn't, you just don't show. And there's like a lot of different reasons why. I mean, it says it in the Torah that when, oh, whatever, I'm not going to get into all the details, but it comes from a source in the Torah. And then we as Hasidic, because Hasidim are, are a certain type of Orthodox Jew. Okay. And Hasidim basically are more into like the mystical teachings of the Torah and Jewish law. And so we take it very seriously, but there are Orthodox women who do not cover their hair. Got it. So it's not it's not wrong not to. It's just where like what part of the community you come from. Got it. So in my circles, once you get married, the day after you get married, you start covering your hair. And I've never gone outside or you know without my hair covered. What do you do when covered. you are swimming? Uh, so either I just swim with women, um, or I wear a ba- I wear a bathing cap, or I wear like yeah, I have like scarves and okay yeah 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 it's not it's not there's like a misconception that we cover our hair so that we're not attractive that's not yeah the the wigs are pretty sexy that's not the case and people often say to me like oh it's so hypocritical but i've seen orthodox women they look gorgeous and their wigs are stunning and isn't that the opposite of why you're covering hair and i'm like no that's not why it's our hair is literally considered to be holy and private and intimate between you your, you and your husband. And so that's why we cover it. Not so that we should look unattractive to other men or in any way like that. Right. So, wow. Yeah. There's so yeah. much. It's so much. There's a yeah. lot. There's a lot there's of a lot. details. <laughs> a lot of like details. there's a lot of rules. <laughs> oh, you. my I'm God. Learning. Every time I talk to Chayalei, I learn something new. <laughs> there are a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah. So your whole family is secular. Mine? Yeah. 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 My whole family is secular. We didn't do any. I mean, we did holidays growing up, but meals, but we never went to synagogue, not even on holidays. Uh, we never really lit candles, although now they do it. My parents do it with the grandkids. Okay. On, uh, on Shabbat, sorry. Lit candles like for a Friday night. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, ha- I have a very good friend in L.A. and he's a Holocaust survivor. And he says he's he always says he's like traditionally Jewish. Because yeah. When I interviewed him, I was like, do you believe in God? He's like, eh. you know, he's yeah. like, I he's like, I, I love the traditions of Judaism because of where he comes from. But I think being someone who lived through the Holocaust and saw what he saw, he rightfully is a little bit. Skeptical. Yeah, my parents. I remember. I remember asking my parents if they believe in God, and they said no. And I asked them, "Then why do we do this?" And you know, in the hall, why do we have a holiday meal stuff? And they're like, "Oh, it's tradition." And I I really didn't get it, but now I totally get it. Yeah. For us, it's also like Judaism is not a religion; it's a people, right? So, you know, for us, it's just being part of of a community, and that community could be people that look like me and Chayalea, but it could be Ethiopian Jews or it could be, you know, Iraqi Jews or whatever, Canadian Jews. Uh, but we're all kind of part of very, very stubborn people who yeah. <laughs> for years and years and years, like pretty much throughout every point and turn in history were meant to be eradicated. And many of them were, and then just said, no, we're going to hold on to our, our faith. Yeah. And it's the same in the Orthodox community. I mean, God is 
it's just a really complicated concept, even in orthodoxy. I think people, obviously more, more percentage of people believe in God, but I think there's a big portion of people who are skeptical or don't know. And I mean, I know for myself, like I do these things because I'm in love with the Jewish people and the Torah and Israel. And like, that's what I'm connected to and the family and the community. And like, God is a part of that in some way. Right. And I, I see godliness through like the Jewish people or through yeah. humanity in a different way. And so I, I don't know, theology is tough. And I, I go through stages up and down about it. You know, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I believe in God and I believe in it. He, and he's watching every single thing I do. And then I go through stages where I'm like, God does not give a shit if I eat a cheeseburger, you know, and not that I do, I wouldn't because <laughs> I care about the structure of the community. But like, I think to myself, why would God care if I stopped at McDonald's right now and ate lunch? You know, I'm starving. Yeah. So it's it's not yeah. like just because you're orthodox, like, oh, I believe in God and it's so easy and it's 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 so I feel like God just wants you not to be an asshole. Like that's what I would think. Mm. I mean not maybe for me. He just his, yeah. his expectations. He doesn't want you. You because you, know? you are an asshole. So yeah, you're right. <laughs> he probably wants you to be less of an asshole. No, but he knows True. I'm not gonna I'm joking. I'm, he knows I'm not gonna start like being like keeping Shabbat. So I'm like, I think my duty as a Jew is just to try to be a good person and like give back good, good to oh the my world. God. This is like the tikkun olam answer for everything. Like, oh, just be a good person. <laughs> no, I think Judaism, not, you're right I, in a sense, okay. but like Judaism is also very particular about how that should be or how it should look. And it's, it's not that I it know, has to you, be the same for everyone, but there's but you're a starting reason. with your particulars and then we opt out and I'm like, you yeah. know what? Never mind. I won't be a good person. It's too much work. <laughs> <laughs> it is it's a lot of work yeah, yeah it's it, it's so i don't know you guys are doing a really cool thing you're healing the jewish rift <laughs> we're, we're i was trying laughing. to profit from it I was laughing, Bridget. Someone, a really good friend of mine sent me your article, the piece you wrote about this, about being a slut. What was it called? Oh, yeah. I regret um, being a slut. I regret being a slut. And I was laughing. I'm like, I'm going to write the rebuttal. I wish I was a slut because, like, I never had that time <laughs> in my life where I was able, you know, like, we didn't socialize with boys and I got married at 20 and, like, I've been with one person my whole life, you know? And I was like, I'm going to write a rebuttal. Of, you like, should. I'm going to be a slut. I, want to, I, I regret I not being a slut. I regret not being a slut. A lot. So a lot of too people have thoughts about that piece. Even it was when, amazing. Even I when we it. were at the that event, Yael, that you and I were at, I got a yeah. lot of an earful about it from people who were no. pro it was good. That means people are people are talking. Yo, next round is about to start. You ready? Yeah, yeah, just shopping for a car in Carvana. For real? Yeah, Carvana makes it super convenient to shop whenever, wherever. For real? That's a ton of car options. Yep, and these are all within my price range. For really real? You can afford that? Yeah, with Carvana. And boom, just like that, I'm getting it delivered in a couple days. For really, really real? You just bought a car. For real, and you just lost. My turn. Visit Carvana.com to shop for thousands of vehicles under $20,000. No, that it was an amazing bonkers. piece. I know, um, but it was, you said so many important things in that piece. I work on a college campus with students and I've shared it so many times now. And I just say like, I give it to my students. I'm like, read this. Just look at what she's saying. Listen to what she's saying. You don't have to be in this situation. Like you could make better choices and different choices. And it's a really important piece. Yeah. People we were saying. Pearl, and we we're talking about like intimacy and stuff like that from 
you know, that she talks about a lot and how complicated it is today. It's so complicated. Yeah, it's a, it's a, that piece, um, people are like, well, maybe it's just you getting older and looking back. And now that you've, everybody feels this way once they got married and had kids. And then in the video that I did where I read it, um, I, I addressed a lot of the things that people were saying to me, like the common mis mistakes they were making. And I'm like, I w I've been trying to write this piece since before I even met my husband and had a child. Right. Like the, these feelings were percolating. I actually would attribute it more to getting sober than anything. And a lot of it probably would have been result. Like, I think there's a lot, it, you can only write so much in a piece like that, but I think so much is connected to like addiction and drinking and all of these mm. other things. I wouldn't have made a lot of the decisions I made had I also not had substance abuse issues at a very young age. But I also think that this is, you know, very, this culture, like I grew up in that stupid show, Sex in the City, which I freaking hated. <laughs> I never watched it, but all my girlfriends are watching it and they're like, their dream was like, go to New York and drink, mm -hmm. and have brunch and like get laid all the time. And, um, you, you know, I was doing that in a small town. You didn't, you didn't need yeah, to, you didn't need to do that. <laughs> go be an alcoholic slut. Uh, yeah. Well, it's not a one size one size fits all, right? And I think like like women, not just women, but I think everybody's getting mixed messages today from the culture, men and women. Um, and I think the any overcorrection is bad. So if, if if once women were supposed to be kind of you know uh, timid and, and prude, that was bad. But the overreaction of just like being super sex positive and go out and like use all the boys is also not good. Like just, yeah, it's know, so, it's so unhealthy. It's so unhealthy. It's really unhealthy. Is this a, a, a particularly American thing or do you guys see this kind of everywhere? Cause I, it, it, are Europeans a little more relaxed about this stuff or is it, is it like this mm -hmm. an American phenomenon of, I, it feels kind of American to me. I don't know. Fascinating between culture. like the Madonna and yeah. the whore. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Israel culture is very influenced in a lot of things by American culture. And, you know, like I said, we watched the same TV shows growing up. And there was definitely similar experiences in terms of boys and dating and, you know, the mean girl and the hot guy. But then, you know, Israeli culture, Israelis also settled down very, very quickly, too. So usually, like, you know, there's a lot of pressure to get married and have babies. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's different though too, like on the coasts from uh, not not to like make this about those coastal elites, but there is a lot. I I guess, well, in my small town back east, I got married pretty young. Most of my friends got married like right out of college in the Midwest mm -hmm. and have been married for a long time since their twenties and have older kids. I have a sister who started very young um, and she jokes, she feels like a grandma now, the same thing you were saying, like with all of her siblings who have started later and have younger kids. So her kids are all like her youngest is 15. Yeah. Um, that's like me. Yeah. yeah. And her oldest is 23. So she's right. like in a different generation almost entirely, but yeah. she's younger than me. And I feel like there was a lot of that in my small town in New England too. They they started young, but then once I went to the city, like almost everybody didn't even start having kids until their mid or mid thirties, you know, early thirties, mid thirties. And I was reading something that the average age of a woman in like 
New York City, like Upper West New York City or West Side Los Angeles' first-time mom is like 37. Really? Um, which is crazy because wow. that means there's a, a lot of 40-plus-year-olds having kids yeah. for the first yeah. time. Yeah. But I just – I my college students, I talk about this with them all the time. They don't want to have kids. Almost none of them want to have kids. What's and their I stay, reason for not wanting to have kids? Like they're all socially <laughs> awkward. Well, <laughs> they're all like, you know <laughs> – not your college students like in general they're like socially the world is so messed up and and the climate and everything is so bad why should we bring kids into this world i get it i'm just like and most of them i hate to say this and i'm sure some of them are going to listen to this and i love you all but i think a lot of them come from very unhappy homes um, they have broken families. I hate that term, but I don't know how else to say it. Secular kids? Are these like... Yeah, yeah. These- I work oh, okay. with, yeah, yeah. No, I don't work with any Orthodox kids. Um, you know, Jewish and non-Jewish. And like, they're not... They don't have good modeling. Like, they don't... They're not part of communities that where you see like a rich life where you can, you know, have such a beautiful future where you have kids and family and siblings and cousins and you're all hanging out together. You know, they don't have that. They don't see it. So if you never know about it, how should you know that it's important? All they see is kind of misery, right? And it's like my mother always, she taught me this. She said it so many times. Like she really wanted me to live in Long Beach, right? After I got married and had kids, because that's where my parents lived. And she's like, if all I tell you is how bad it is to live in Long Beach, you'll never live here. So all I do is tell you how amazing it is here, right? And guess what? My sister and I both moved back to Long Beach because we grew up with this ideal, idealized version of what it was to live here. And I have friends whose parents were like, oh my God, Long Beach is the worst. Don't ever live here. There's no kosher food. The Jewish community is horrible. Da, da, da. And guess where they live? Not here, right? Yeah. They don't live here. And so it's a, I say this to my students. I'm like, you guys need better modeling. You don't yeah. know what could be. And if we just started talking about things differently and showing things differently, I mean, all TV is broken, everything, everything is sad and depressing. And it's just, why should they want more? Why that's should what, they want more? That's where my husband and I started factory settings, our podcast, because we, it's like kind of like date night for us, but we just, we both come from broken homes and there really weren't that many models of you know just happy couples yeah <laughs> like yeah. we just don't have that many it does look i mean i get and and when i saw that girl's video i thought about how i got wasted womb shamed by ben shapiro once who's a friend <laughs> um <laughs> and online because he talked about the like having a something the joy of something and I was like ah but you know the joy of a nap very much like what this woman was saying in this video and then he kind of was like oh but he you know people kind of called him out because I was like are you wasted womb shaming me Ben which is just a term that I made up and I I really should jump into this conversation on the discourse on it because I understand it I deeply understand like that stupid feeling in my 20s of like, well, it's a global warming, whatever. I get it. I I understand it, but it's not like accurate. You know, it's no. not it's not. And now having a child, I hate that I've become like <laughs> I'm like, everyone needs to have kids. I know. I will I've say the only that, like pro child person that I've fucking hated. Sorry for the language. No, uh, I know. Hi, I will say the most, uh, <laughs> the most feminist thing I've ever said 
on our podcast ever, I think, is I, I will never let a man tell me that I need to have a baby. Mm, because I feel right. like I do hear it a lot from men. And I'm like, well, you know, it's not the same. It's really not the same. Not in child, you know, bearing and not in, in child raising. Um, I think the problem with like, with the people who womb shame or whatever you call it is like, if you tell them, like the worst thing you wasted can tell womb them, shame. Wasted womb shame. <laughs> Womb shaming is if you've had too many kids, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think the worst thing I can say to them, which is the truth for me, is like, well, you know, I just like haven't met the right person yet because then they're then they go into like full incel, right? And then they're just like, oh, the chat because you're chasing the chads. I'm like, I wish I was into chads. I feel like it would be like a lot easier. Um, There's such idiots oh. <laughs> too. Every manosphere dude out there who's like the birth rate and derpa derpa derpa, they're all yeah. fucking single. I'm like, yeah. go have kids then, guys. Yeah, exactly. Get to work. Why are you it's on here, yeah. like on your podcast, telling women they need to go get knocked up? Like, go participate in this problem. Yeah, the reality totally. is, it's hard to make a connection with somebody, and and with today's world where there's so much, you know, like women can do everything by ourselves. Like, I've never felt like I but it shouldn't be that know. way but it no, shouldn't but I'm be that it, way it becomes People... it becomes hard it becomes not harder but it becomes like you really are looking for that connection because you don't need the but, other things you just right. need the connection it's true but i think that we get so caught up i mean this is a step beyond what we're talking about in a way because it's like okay find a partner fine step one but you also need to find the rest of the community you cannot raise children on your own. It is impossible. It is the loneliest thing in the world. It yeah. is no one talks about, I mean, Matt, now you hear people saying, Oh, no one talks about it. Okay. People don't are not honest about how, how lonely it is when you're Ugh. sitting in your house and your baby's, you know, napping or crying for the 10th hour in a row. And, you know, our grandparents and great grandparents did not live like that. Right. When I think about my grandmothers in the shtetl in Eastern Europe, they were making dinner together. All the women were peeling potatoes. My mother always says this also, they were all peeling potatoes around the same garbage bin, cook fetching about their lives. And today you're stuck in your house. You don't have anyone to talk to. No one's around. I walk on the streets here. You don't, I, you don't see a person except if they're homeless and it's a very very lonely sad you can't live like that well, finding a community is even children. harder than finding a partner i know I but that's why i'm saying you we need to we need to address this issue from all the different angles it's not just about the partnership of the father and the mother of children it's also about the community around it because it's very hard to do it alone it's, it's impossible yeah. i'm gonna cry right now just even talking <laughs> about this because i had to make a very impossible decision of leaving california and my my mother-in-law and my aunt who's basically like my mom were are there but we came to texas where we're totally isolated and we were like should we just go back east where my family is and we were just back there and all the cousins hang out and I am isolated here. Like, yeah. ugh. It's hard. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> we, no, it's yeah. fine. It's, We're, it's tough. I mean, and life is about trade-offs, right? So you get one thing that you, you like every, yeah. every, everything that makes you happy is going to be at the expense of something else. If you yeah, get married, I mean, you're not going to be single. If you, if you stay single, you're not yeah. going to be married. You choose yeah. to live somewhere you want to live. This is my husband there. and I like we're it was we had to make this decision and felt impossible and it and we were like it's all trade offs but then this I've been like did we make Very a mistake 
Like, it's very hard. I don't know how to raise my kid in California. My husband is a, in therapy. Like the rules in California around therapy change all the time for therapists and they're insane and they have to like affirm all this insanity. And uh, it's it was like an impossible decision. And really? so we were I'm like, we need community. Like yeah. that's been my, I'm like, we're saying yes to everything. We went to a ranch. We met all these amazing people. We're going to Shabbat this weekend. Good. I'm Good. like, we need, I need community. Maybe, and maybe my husband doesn't, but I need it because two, I feel so isolated here. No, I'm going to tell you two things. Okay. Number one, nothing is forever. You could also decide in a year or two or three, you know what? We did it our time here. We tried it. Now let's move, right? Nothing is forever. So you can't get stuck in a loop in your head that like, oh my God, what a totally. mistake. Okay, number, yeah. one. number two, and I cannot stress this enough. You have to open up your home to other people as well. Yep. You have to invite people in. Yep. You have to cook a meal or bring takeout. And I love doing that. Exactly. Yep. People are so shy to do it. Everyone acts like their home is like a moat. You know, we have to have like a, a moat around our home and no one should come in. If someone rings the bell, it's like the worst news I heard all day. No, no, no. <laughs> Your home needs to be a place that people feel that they could come and gather and ring the bell and knock on the door and come hang out. And the only way to make that happen is if you create that yourself. And it's scary at first. I get it. It's not comfortable. I'm totally it, comfortable with that. I know. But a lot of people it's are not. They me say, who's who uncomfortable am I? with this? I know. I know. I know. I know. I get it. I get it. But you have to, I'm saying it not just to you, but to other people, don't be intimidated. Reach out. Don't think, oh, why would, they'll think it's so weird that I'm inviting them over. Who cares? So they'll think it's weird. They'll be happy. Everybody's looking for community and friendship. Invite people over for lunch. Invite people over for Shabbat dinner, even if you don't do Shabbat. Do whatever. To you know? I had yeah, friends people come over out. the other day and it was kind of, we were, we were supposed to go out, but it ended up just being like, just come here. And they came here and they sat on the couch and we ordered takeout and we watched Below Deck and it was the best day ever. Yeah. Because we were just like hanging out. We didn't have yeah. to do, it wasn't like an event, you know? Yeah. People go on Instagram now and they think that every event has to look like uh, something that you're putting on Instagram with, with with hashtags. It could be nothing. You could have it from Walmart, a, a fruit platter, and from Trader <laughs> Joe's, a bag of popcorn and put it in a bowl and there you have an event. Yeah. It doesn't have to be fancy. No, you we have like the best company. time at this. It was so healing and re and also just getting, tapping into like where I am because so much of what I do is virtual and I, I loved the farmer's markets in LA and there were just certain things about the actual place that I loved and I'm I was like, I know there's magic in Texas. I just have to like tap into it. And it was crazy just being like every night we had teams and we all had to make dinner. And it was like, a, it was very, Amazing. it was, yeah, it was very grounding. You know, it's just me. And some uh, Chabad people over to Bridget. <laughs> I just had people staying. This is okay. I'm like extreme in this. And it, it sometimes I, I have to pull myself back sometimes. Like I just had, um, five people sleeping in my house who I don't know. They needed a place to stay for a weekend. And so they ended up coming like Thursday to Tuesday. They were here for a wedding, whatever, long story. And I was like really annoyed about it at first because, you know, my office is also my guest room. That's why it kind of looks weird right now because I had a rearranged thing, whatever. My office is my guest room. And my, then there were people upstairs in my kid's bedroom. And so I, it was all chaos. And I really hated it in the beginning. And then I was like, no, no, no. This is what it means to have an open home. 
that like when someone asks, you say yes, even if it's a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, obviously, if I couldn't do it, I would say no. But, you know, and it's not easy for my husband. I know he's not like me in that way. And he doesn't love being a center, grand central station. Yeah. And I sometimes have to massage it a little bit and, you know, help him through it. Did he grow up in a big family or no? Oh, he's the ninth of 13. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. So he doesn't want any people around him. Yeah, Yeah, he grew up in utter chaos. And like, I love my family. I mean, he has a great, amazing, amazing family, but it was utter chaos. And so he really likes everything a certain way now. Yeah. And he likes neatness and his space. And little did he know he was marrying me. That was, you know, what did he know at 20? We went out six times. There was no way he could know (laughs) he was marrying a tornado (laughs) and a hurricane wrapped in one person. Yeah. Um, So I have to like make sure to massage that, you know, that also. But there's just no substitute for having a home that people feel comfortable in and feel comfortable asking to come over and your kid, you want your kids' friends to hang out at your house. Your house should be the center. You should know all your kids' friends. You should know their name. You know what I'm saying? Like you build community. Don't sit and wait for other people to invite you in. Do it yourself. That's my one piece of advice. To young people. I love so, that. I'll get off my high horse now about it. Let's talk. About I could stuff. talk to you guys forever, but we're, we're already at like an hour and a half. So yeah. I'll, add, I could just, yeah, we'll all have to get together soon. Um, what is, I'll ask you both my question. I always end with, with two questions. What's your biggest defect of character? Oh. Should I answer for you, Kyla? You can... <laughs> <Yeah>. No. <laughs> okay, I'll start because I've thought about this. I'm like, oh gosh. My biggest defect is I'm 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 a bit of a judgmental biatch. Uh, I wanted to say like critical, but I feel like critical sounds too nice. Um, but first and foremost of myself, but also of, of others. Ooh, my biggest defect. Um, I have so many, honestly. Um, <laughs> I would say that I'm something I'm really, really bad at and struggling with is like, I'm really bad at communication. Um, which is funny as someone who like has a podcast and loves talking, I'm really bad at, at communication. You yeah. should see our WhatsApp group for our podcast. It's, it's a lot of me tagging her with like exclamation points. I, I have a hard time expressing what I need what I want, what I think in like, informal ways right i'm really good at like chit chat and i'm just not good at communication ah like emotional yeah oh i'm really bad at that okay gotcha and what's your biggest asset (laughs) let's answer for each other okay um Um, yours is uh i think you're just funny as hell you're both hilarious i was gonna say that about you (laughs) no yeah i was really really funny yeah you both are you're (laughs) both hilarious and smart you're really smart and really funny and i like i love that i I like i like you oh i won't i won't won't, uh i've been threatening to replace her with a different (laughs) too but (laughs) i think we're both very we're both very curious too we like to learn about things and yeah that's true people well, this has been so fun. Yes, oh, thank you. It's been a blast. I love getting to know both of you. And I hope people go check out your podcast. Everybody go listen to Ask a Jew and get angry at all of us and send us emails. But where can we find you? Um, we are on Substack, askajew.substack.com. Uh, we also have an Instagram, askajewpod, but really anywhere you, you get your podcasts. Uh, 
feel free to be angry at us. Uh, leave angry comments. It helps our engagement. So it's good <laughs> for, you know. Um, yeah, and of course, uh, you can send us questions. Our email is uh, askajewpod at gmail.com. And, and no question is too embarrassing or too controversial. Are you guys individually on um, any social media you want to blast? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter. Yeah, LBT. I tweet a lot about police stuff because that's my, my other life. Uh, which is, you know, slightly, um, I always say like there's a Venn diagram of people who hate the police and people who hate Israel. And it's like one circle. So I, get, <laughs> I get it from everywhere. But uh, if you're into that, um, yeah, LBT on Twitter or X. And I'm a I'm an Instagram user. So if you okay. care about what my life is about, I'm Chaylea, just one word on Instagram. I do stories and put up bullshit and you cool. can see what my life is like. Yeah. Amazing. Thank yeah. you guys both so much for your time and for coming on and Thank for you. your podcast and everything you're doing yeah. and just being you. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you. Thank you. Dive into true crime on Pluto TV. Unravel the mysteries with forensic files and 48 hours. Investigate crimes with Dateline 24-7 and unsolved mysteries. With thousands of free crime movies and TV shows, Pluto TV is the true home of crime. Download the Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices and start streaming true crime on live channels and on demand. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never. It's time for the weekly check-in with Bridget and Cousin Maggie. So I got into the morning show. I don't know when. I think I was pregnant and I was just looking for something to watch. And Jaron was never into it, but he kind of comes what comes in and out of this is the show with Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston, right? Yes. Okay. And it's it's always kind of like it takes place kind of in the world we live in. Okay. So when COVID happened, COVID happened in the show. Okay. And Jennifer Aniston's character got sick. She's this kind of big, she's almost like a Megyn Kelly type character. She's carrying this network essentially. And they were trying to get her out because she was aged out. Right. And then trying to replace her with Reese Witherspoon. Kind of. And then she ends up getting COVID and they launch UBA plus the network is UBA and they launch plus and she turns the streaming network into this massive thing. And then that's where they, they kind of ended the season. It's strange. It looked strange to me. That's kind of why I was like, I don't know if I want to watch this But I'm weirdly... Because this season, I'm only in the second episode, and it feels like they filmed it in 2020. How many episodes are? I mean, how this many seasons are season. there? Okay, but it feels like I. We were watching it last night. It feels so dated. It's because they're tackling. I could almost see Reese and Jennifer being like, "This season, we're going to tackle the." race inequality that exists and so it's a lot of this like diversity equity and inclusion stuff and there's a racist remark and there's kind of a struggle session that one of the women on the board has to do with one of the new newscasters that they hire because she said she looked like aunt jemima or something like that i mean it it feels so it is so weird it's almost like a parody okay i know they don't mean it to be i know they mean it to be like seriously tackling this issue it's like a parody because it's like this the the, jaron was like do they still have their black squares up on instagram like (laughs) what is going on okay well i have a question for you does it do you think it feels like that to you because you're very online and know how fast the culture has moved past this or at least how fast 
kind of attitudes have changed within the culture? Or do you think this would feel dated to anyone just randomly watching Well, that's it? what I was wondering because I just had a meeting with publishers and we were talking about, I was, I have been obsessed with the accelerating disconnect between people who are very online and people who aren't. It seems like the more and more the actual in real life culture is dragging behind the very online. You know, there's all this conversation about the longhouse, which I'm not even going to bother explaining <laughs> because of the look on your face. It will take 25 minutes. I'm sitting here being like, no idea what that is. And like, and bronze age pervert who wrote a book <laughs> And exactly, you don't know who he is, which is acceptable. But online, everybody talks about this person as someone who who's a figure whose ideas should be wrestled with. And who's influencing the culture. Who's influencing the culture. And he might be, he released a self-published or a print-on-demand book that was like 33 on Amazon. So it was doing well and it's hard, but it's like, this isn't a person, anyone, any normie. I bet if I pulled, I would be shocked if one other person in this development had heard of Bronze Age Pearl. Right. And I mean, and doing if, very well, even in book sales online, that's like you sell 5,000 copies, that's you're what doing we were very talking well. about in a country of 350 million people. I know, people. like 5,000 copies is a runaway bestseller. And so there is this weird self-reinforcing bubble, but yeah, I mean, if you had asked me five years ago how many copies of a book you had to sell to get on the best New York Times bestseller list, I would have assumed it was in the millions. Uh, okay. My first guess would have been, it's a big country. A million. Yeah, a million. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's 5,000 or something. And it has to be not bulk orders and from certain places and it's... Like 5,000. 5,000. Yeah. That's nuts. People just don't buy books, I guess. Yeah. I mean, maybe. But it's been like that for a long time. That's been the standard. So, the yeah. Threshold. So, I wonder, but I, I could just hear Reese and Jennifer being like, I could hear them. And in this show, I could <laughs> see them having the discussion of like, this is when we're going to tackle and we're going to confront this head on. And it is, there's kind of, I think he's supposed to be like an Elon Musk character. Mm. And so they go up and it's like, a, and they're also tackling Texas and making fun of Texas a lot. Mm. And a woman is smuggling abortion pills across the border and gets, but they can't cover it because they, the network doesn't want them to alienate, you know, half of their viewership. And she's like, when the next election, this this one character, she's like, when the next election is contested, I need all of our viewers to trust you, not just half of our viewers. <sighs> and that's why we can't cover this abortion <laughs> story. I mean, it is... It, is it sounds like a parody. Heavy-handed <laughs> woke show. I don't know. It was. I don't think it was always like this. And maybe it was, and I just didn't notice. But it seems like something happened to the show this year that I. I it's. It's like all the stuff. It's impossible to get away from in terms of watching a show these days. Something from like. It's imp like the woke shit comes up and I roll my eyes and immediately I'm like, ugh, really? That was like on that Brooklyn Nine-Nine when, yeah. they, when they, they felt woke. they had to like contribute to it. I was like, you guys could just not, you could just ignore this discussion because 
Every, you are the police. Like you're the whole premise of your show is now a, theoretically the bad guys. And they could have, or they could have like still like they, their early stuff was so funny and they got away with just making fun of so much stuff. Like they could have continued to do that and still had kind of like an interesting take on what was going on in the culture. Everyone it is the, it's the self. That's why I saw this when I was watching this and I could hear the writers and the, the like smug self-righteous. I was like, Oh shit. We're heading into an election year. Uh-huh. Like everyone thinks that they need to be like, here the hills we're dying on. It's just the well. I and I've been going through some of our older dumpster fires, like trying to you know do this clip thing for TikTok. whatever for TikTok, and we were talking <laughs> about it. And I was like, I should really go find all of our like musical woke the musical clips. We need to because I, it. I we need to I need to like at least pull those out. And and see what we already had because we actually had some really good stuff just off the cuff in Dumpster Fire, just as the idea for the musical and some song ideas. I'm like, this exists and we still need to write it. Yeah. Like we have got to write that thing. But it's going to be such a weird year. It's just very, things are getting very strange. Mm -hmm. And I think... My theory that people are increasingly checking out is accurate, which is why I'm seeing such a massive glaring divide between the people who are on not online versus the people who are very online. There's mm-hmm. just no, I don't ta- have the, the, all of the people in this development are bitching about the pool in the Facebook HOA, like, uh-huh. as they should be, by uh-huh. the way. Uh-huh. But it's not, their priorities aren't. Their priorities are real life, what's going or like on. like how long the line is to drop your kid off at the school. Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's not like. Right. They're not worried about whatever the the, the the bronze age pervert is. (laughs) I'm in this group chat and it's all these very online people and they've been talking about the longhouse and the bronze and bronze age pervert for years. And I kept, and they always refer to BAP and in the chat is BAP. And I'm always like, what's, I've had to ask the, they probably think I'm a boomer. Uh I mean, I'm, I'm like, what is BAP again? And they're like, bronze age pervert. I'm like, oh, right, right. That's who you're talking about. Obsessively. Google this now later. But anyway, it's so dumb. Everything is so dumb. Yep. And we are, we're heading into an election year and it's just we have no idea what it will bring. I mean, the Trump stuff, the like, the charges. Who was it you were talking to recently? Oh, was it Yasha where he was like, you know, this is un- we're in unprecedented waters in terms of like if this man is the de- the candidate and he's found guilty on certain of these charges, like and what, he's going to win. It's going to create a constitutional <laughs> crisis, the likes of which we've never seen before. Oh God. <laughs> I don't know. I I would be shocked if Biden made it to the actual election. Yeah. I know. He's not going to be the guy. I just don't see it. It seems like they're really priming it for Newsom. Newsom. But I actually think Newsom could beat Trump. He could. Because they'll vote for anyone other than Trump. I know. I don't think he could beat DeSantis because he's so unpopular. DeSantis is his own worst enemy. In terms of like likability, he seems to just be sabotaging himself. Yeah, but I no, I think he's just a very. I think he's a guy who's more 
he's like a nerd. I yeah. Think, I don't think being likable. I just think he's like a guy who reads policy and actually wants to lead. And I do get the sense that he is views it more. I mean, sure, everyone wants power, but he does strike me as someone who is actually doing it out of some sense of being of service. Of service, yeah. No, and I mean, I can't stand Newsom. Newsom he's just got the, the fucking, shit out of me. Yeah, I know. He's just got the the slick polish down. You that know? guy will say anything to get power, uh-huh. and he is disciplined and uh-huh. a sociopath, uh-huh. and he scares the crap out of me. And I was joking, like the only thing that might <laughs> make me vote for Trump is if Newsom <laughs> runs for president. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least Trump believes his lies. Uh, Newsom just lies sociopathically lies i will become an activist i'll be like knocking on doors like aoc and be like see my sneakers we need to stop we need to contain this california madness like you're from california yeah i know that's why i'm out here talking about fled what happened i fled in the night with my daughter strapped to my back i'm a refugee (laughs) i become just fully maga (laughs) Lord, <laughs> that would make me go full mag. I think Newsome. Oh Ugh. God! Ugh. I know it's gonna happen too. It's gonna get interesting. It's gonna get ugly. Shit's gonna get weird. Strap <laughs> in. Tune in next week for another riveting episode that will change your life, help you get out of your own way, and solve all the world's problems. I want to thank our composer, Jared Elias, my co-producer and cousin, Maggie, and all of you out there listening. This has been Walk-In's Welcome with Bridget Phetasy. I'm Bridget Phetasy, and you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's the dumbest line. <laughs> <laughs>